With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have your Bibles, or if you have the Congregational Bible, the Congregational Bible、uh, is on page.、Um, 935. We continue our living sacrifice series in in the Sermon on the Mount. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, "For I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable." Under God, which is your reasonable service, and verse two says, "Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds." And we find that the Sermon on the Mount preaches the gospel. We find that the Sermon on the Mount presents. Evidence that we're saved, because we can't follow. We can't just say the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to do the things that are in the Sermon on the Mount, and say, well, now I'm good. Because when we look at the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, we find out we can't do them. The only way that we can is that a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit has changed our lives. That once we've had an encounter with God, realizing that the cross of Jesus Christ provided redemption for mankind, that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, suffered the wrath of God. When he hung upon the cross, that God's justice in His holiness needed to have the payment for sin paid, and He poured out His wrath in order to do so. Because He can't just show mercy; God can't replace His justice with mercy, as we've been looking at time and time again. He is both, and the way that He does that is in the cross. The way that you reconcile all truth is in the cross of Jesus Christ. That God is a God of love who hates sin. That God is a God of wrath who shows mercy. That God is a God of grace, but desires obedience. That God is a God. That does all things, but limits what he does 
according to His nature. God does not work contrary to His nature. And so when God in human flesh comes to earth in Jesus Christ, sometimes we tend to remove God's holiness just because He became a man. And that is most prevalent these days. Most, what is mostly done these days is some people will look at Jesus Christ, they'll put Him on a picture, and they'll worship that. They'll look at Jesus Christ and look at Scripture and think that He's just a good man. Or a better man. But He's more than that. He's the very God who came and not only led a sinless life, but suffered a way that no other person on the planet has ever suffered when He received the wrath of God upon the cross. When we go through our sufferings, we kind of tend to think that Jesus... Oh, well, he understands because he suffered six hours on the cross. Jesus understands more than that because he created you and I, gave us the very breath that's in our nostrils and the very heartbeat that's in our chest because he's the creator. And he knows more than that because he has suffered greater than every person on the planet since Adam, since all things were created. He suffered more than we can ever know. And we come to Him and add Him to our life. Often. We look around and see in our lives, in my own life, sometimes I want to say, I want to have Jesus, but I just add Him to all the things that I want. And Jesus says, here in the Sermon on the Mount, so many things. He says, Guess what? He says that he is more important because he's God. He's more important than subsistence hunting and fishing. I know that's not going to be a popular thing, but he is. Because he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. It says in in Matthew chapter 6. He says, God knows what you need even before you ask him. Subsistence hunting is important. But the God who provides you with that subsistence is the one that says, don't worry about it. He'll bring you your catch. He brought you the trees and the river. He made them. He, brings the, he pushes the valleys up. He makes the mountains low and bow down to them, puts the stars in the sky. That's the God that gave the boys, as we prayed for them, you know, that they don't fall into idolatry because they won the championship. We need to, to really pray for them that they do not fall into idolatry, to look at that little trophy as if it's something, because that's going to burn in hell. When the new heavens and the new earth are getting ready to be made, everything of this planet is going to burn, and that even that memory is nothing because it doesn't compare to the wonder and the beauty, the majesty that is Jesus Christ. We've got to know that. We've got to have that at the very core of our being in all things. Otherwise, we're nothing. We're just moving along in this life as if we added Jesus to us to help us be better. And we see that here in this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. An interesting thing Jesus adds to the richness that is our lives as he teaches us this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at this great God, this God-man, this man-God who gives this sermon. And in Matthew chapter 5, 
beginning with, Lisa, help me out. What's the first verse that I need to read? 31, thank you very much. And it, it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. I want to say first, very right off the top, if you know of someone who has been divorced, and they are beaten up about it because they say, I can't come to church because I've been divorced, you encourage them, pray for them, encourage them, let them know that the cross of Jesus Christ is not just a small thing. It is everything, and the blood of Jesus will forgive that sin. Jesus says, we read it right here and we go, oh, here's this passage. Some people in the church treat divorce as if it's the unpardonable sin, and it is not. Remember, Moses was a murderer. Moses murdered an Egyptian, yet God used him. Aaron was an idolater. At 84 years old, he built a golden calf, yet God made him the high priest. And if you're Divorced, or if you know of somebody who has had a divorce, do not think that you've committed the unpardonable sin. Bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ and have His forgiveness, have His blood cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do not let anyone rob you of the victory of God. i got to say that because there are too many people out there that are preaching a cross that has no power to forgive even that sin. Yes, it's a sin. And we're going to look at why it is a sin. Divorce. Now i got to say, now having said that, that it is forgivable. And if you know someone that's going through that, encourage them, pray for them. Pray that they don't get a divorce, because God hates divorce. Did you know here in Malachi, if you turn, keep your place in Matthew chapter 5, but turn to the last book of the Bible, uh, of the, excuse me, Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2, I think it's verse 10. Um, we'll begin with verse 14 it says verse 14 of Malachi chapter 2 yet you say wherefore because excuse me (laughs) yeah Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Verse 15. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one that he might seek a godly See, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Verse 16, this is the important verse. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hates putting away. That word putting away in the King James is a word that could be translated divorce. It's the written certificate that's given as far as divorce. Uh, he hates putting away. Uh, your New King James Version might say he hates divorce. 
For one covers violence with his garment and says, The Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. The Lord says in verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, Wherein have we wearied him? When we say, when you say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or where is the God of judgment? I added that on there because we need to make sure that we understand that God will render justice on those that don't turn to Him. Because there will be people that will divorce, and then they'll just continue moving on. Well, God's forgiven that, and they'll say, okay, God's forgiven that, but they'll continue to walk in a lifestyle of sin that is hateful to God. As if shaking their fists in God, okay, I'm going to get divorced, I'm going to do my own thing, and you better bless me. And then continue to move on. Jesus speaks on divorce because marriage is important to God. He began marriage all the way back in the garden with the first man. Gave him a wife. And Jesus speaks on that again in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders come up. They're always questioning Jesus. They're always, they're always, you know, Jesus is approachable. But they don't want to treat him as holy. They don't want to treat him as someone who knows something. And they question him. And in chapter 19, Verse 1, it says, It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, He departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed Him, and He healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto Him, tempting Him, and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Verse 4, And He answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which, came, uh, he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Verse 6. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And they said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? There's that expression, put her away, from Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Why did he say that, he, that Moses allows us to do this? And verse 8, Jesus answered, He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered or allowed you to put away your wives, allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And Jesus reiterates in verse 19, the same thing we read in Matthew chapter 5. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoso marries her which is put away, does commit adultery. And the disciples go on and make comments on that. But I want to stick to the issue right here, marriage and divorce, at this particular point. We have to see this to, in keeping with our series, the Living Sacrifice series. When we give our lives as a sacrifice, we want to give God our best. Not just, well, I'm going to give up these things. We give Him our best. 
and understanding what's spoken of in Jesus' sermon, that we reflect on a marriage that God has given unto us. Have you ever thought about how dumb divorce is? And we know people that are in this village that are going to try to get divorced because, or have gotten divorced, or have been divorced because it had to do with somebody else coming in to the marriage. Someone else coming into the marriage and disrupting that marriage. Because a man might say, think about how dumb this is. In fact, dumb is not even a good word. Stupid. We get so blind in our flesh, we become stupid, especially men. And we think that women are as stupid as we are, because they'll believe the lie that we tell them if we're going to get divorced. This is how it goes. Check this out. I love you. I don't love my wife anymore. I love you. I want you to spend the rest of your life with me. And the man is so stupid, he thinks that that woman's going to believe her. And probably, if she's, if she, and if she's not walking with the Lord, she will believe him. Remember, Eve was deceived in the garden, believing a lie, a slightly twisted truth. Because her conception of love is lust. That man lusts after her. He desires to have her to satisfy his own flesh. It's evidence when he says that I don't love my wife anymore, I love you, and I want to commit to you. He loved something, he loved something about his wife long ago. Either her looks, or she was a good cook, or she did his laundry, or whatever it was, it had nothing to do with a commitment to a person that you wanted to be with. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with satisfying a lust of this man's flesh, and now when he's through with that lust, then he goes to this other one and says, I'm going to commit the rest of my life to you. Now think about how dumb that is. If he can't commit his life to the first person, how is, he going to, how is that second person going, that second person is going to believe that this man's going to, oh, okay, well, this time he really means it. How many people do you know that have had like three or four divorces? When you have had the one, unless it's by Christ, you're going to get divorced again. Now, there are situations where a divorce is, another divorce is acceptable apart from fornication. Where, so, you know, somebody's cheated on you. God says, it's okay if they've cheated on you and have fornicated, committed adultery, then if you want to get rid of them, God says in the Bible, it's okay. But there's another instance too, and Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians. That when Two people are married. They're both unbelievers. But then one, because the situation came up and Paul had to address it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In fact, I'm going to turn there so that we can read exactly what Paul, the Apostle Paul says about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, in verse 10, he says, and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. In other words, he's saying this is scripture, this is inspired. He says that the Lord says, let not the wife depart from her husband. And in verse 11 it says, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. 
And let not the husband put away his wife. If she wants to depart, let her go. But let her stay unmarried, let him stay unmarried, because they might be able to come together. Verse 12, and he says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. In other words, the Lord didn't say this in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord didn't say this in Matthew 19. But, I'm saying it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying. This is still Scripture. He says, If any brother has a wife that is not a believer, that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believes not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else your children are unclean, but now they are holy. In other words, they don't have to be put away. But there's a problem there. If they want, if they want to stay together, even though the, the what, like the wife is a believer, but the husband is not. But the husband doesn't want to leave. He thinks, well, this is nice. My wife is changing. It's kind of neat. She's doing things for me. Because she's doing them for him in the Lord. And he doesn't want to divorce or anything just because she became a Christian. But this was serious in Paul's day because now they became a Christian and there's an unbeliever and says, Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that Christianity. So Paul says it's okay to divorce. Let them go. But stay unmarried because they might come to know the Lord and come back to you. That's what Paul's judgment on on that was, because what is important to see, what is important to see in this, is when God created marriage from the beginning, male and female, that Jesus commented in Matthew chapter 19, the commitment was there. I'm not not going to teach on marriage today. I'm just going to bring some highlights concerning it. And as it relates to our commitment unto God because of His commitment unto us. A marriage reflects Jesus and His relationship with the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, He says that the church is His bride and He loves her and gives His life for her. Lays down His very life for the church. It used to be that they said, well, a marriage is 50-50. 50-50. They come to, a husband and wife come together and the marriage is 50-50. Well, that doesn't work. Half here and half there. Who's to decide where's the halfway point? Then some people started saying, well, it's 100%, 100%. You have 100% of this responsibility, man, and woman, you have this percent of, 100% of responsibility and you come together. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches 100% 0% because it's a reflection of the love of God. That when you've made this commitment to have this person that is your life partner, this person that is your life partner, that no matter how they treat me, that if I've been married, no matter how Lisa was to treat me, that I have a 100% responsibility to do what God says in His Word toward her. 100% even if she provides zero. She does nothing in here if she's an unbeliever. Because we read that, what Paul was talking about. They had mixed marriages. Believers with unbelievers. If the unbeliever has no commitment unto this, 
You as a Christian have 100% as a husband or 100% as a wife, no matter how they treat you. Now, that's not to say that if you're in a relationship where one of the spouses is verbally abusive and, and even physically abusive, that you need to stay there. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm saying that there is, at the root of it, something underlying that presents Jesus Christ as God. Because that's how our commitment is with Christ. The marriage reflection is an awesome thing that God gave from the beginning to show us how we should be committed unto Jesus Christ. Because He's committed unto us in that same way. Jesus gave His all completely submissive unto God the Father so that His life could be poured out and receive the wrath of God. He gave 100%. And even if the world gives zero, He still poured it out for them. Now, they will, those who give zero will have even what they have, have take, even what they think they have, it will be taken away from them if they never receive Christ. Because God is a just God. He made a promise that if you have come to repentance and believe on God, and that repentance is every day, because we keep on sinning. And when we come to God, He promises He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we ask for forgiveness, He'll forgive our sins. You don't have to go to a priest and confess it in a little box. He says, come unto me. Come to me and I will cleanse your sins because He did it 2,000 years ago on the cross at Calvary. You don't have to come to me to confess your sins. We confess that we're sinners one to another so that we can encourage one another. I am a sinner. When we get together, you know that I tell you that I am just like every one of you. Sinful, wretched, and apart from Jesus Christ, absolutely nothing. We are all nothing apart from Jesus Christ. So in that relationship, when we see the goodness of God as He has given it unto us, we want to return that. And if Jesus Christ gave you nothing, and beloved, He gives you everything. But see, we're so selfish that we think that He's giving us nothing. Here, I've got to have you turn to this passage of Scripture right here. Romans chapter 8. He gives us everything in this relationship and in this commitment. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. And verse 28 begins with this. It says, and and many of you may have this memorized. For we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. To be conformed to the image of His Son. In a marriage, God has given you husbands a wife who is completely different from you because she helps you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Wives, God has given you a husband so that you can be conformed to the image of Christ. 
There are things about your husband that irritate you. But God has given those irritations so that you can learn patience and love and mercy. Husbands, there are things, a ton of things your wife does that you just don't get. I mean, she loves curtains. She likes putting pictures up on the wall. Those things are odd. Now, for you that are not married, God has surrounded you with all kinds of people that do things that just get on your nerves. Why are they doing this? Because God has placed those people, situations, and circumstances in your path and in your life so that you could be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and not divorce those situations. You want to get out of them. Too many people want to go to heaven to get away so that they can keep from going to hell. Too many people want to go to heaven because they want to get out of the situations and circumstances that they're in right now because it's hard. Gasoline's almost $7 a gallon. Uh, stove oil is almost, what, $6 a gallon or $5 a gallon, like four ninety-five or something like that. We want to get out of the difficult situations that we're in now, and God is using those to conform us to the image of Christ. If you want to get to heaven apart, you know, the only thing that makes, remember this, beloved, the only thing that makes heaven heaven is because God is there. And often we want to get out of our situations and circumstances, out of our relationships with our loved ones, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. They seem so, excuse me. They seem so difficult. We want to get out of them and God has placed them there so that we could learn to be more like Jesus with compassion and love and mercy and justice. To be able to do what is right. The thing that has been disturbing me very much for the last nearly two years since I've been here. Because this is not a part of your culture. Although some people will say it is. To not discipline your children... Is I, I can't see it as being a part of your culture because I have talked to some of your elders like Fred Savick and in the old days the, the elders were respected by the children and these days we have so much Nintendo so much Xbox so much satellite communication satellite dish and internet that our children don't respect adults and I know I shocked a bunch of people here when last year, just a few months in being here, looking out that window and seeing a four-year-old child kick Nathan Kaganak while he's walking over to uh, probably to Naaman's house with his stick, and a kid comes up and kicks him. I know that's not part of the Eskimo culture. But neither is alcohol or drugs to say, look, we don't discipline our children because it's not a part of our culture. Baloney. That's a lie from Satan. Because what is a part of our culture is that you and I are human beings and this is what God has given us to say that we need to spank our children when they get out of line. Why? Because they're born into sin just like you and me. That's why God sent His Son. Do not let your children go without discipline. Because by your doing that, you're telling 
God that you hate them. Because God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we are not bastards. Sorry for the word. But it says that in the King James Bible. That we are not illegitimate sons and daughters. That we are not illegitimate if we are in Christ. We are children of God and therefore He disciplines us. Why? Because these things that are not of God hurt us. And God knows it. When you take drugs and alcohol that is destroying your body and your mind so that you can't worship God and know the joy it is to serve Him. Drugs and alcohol is not a part of the Eskimo culture. It was brought in by, I'm not going to say by white men, it was brought in by the messengers of Satan. When the gospel came in here, Satan didn't want the gospel coming in, so he brings in alcohol. He brings in greed and lust. And all the stories that I've read, like in the book Jesus and the Eskimo, and talking with my good brother and friend, Fred Savak, he says it wasn't like that. When the God... Before the gospel came, there was at least a kind of inbred community that said that we respected elders. And I know that doesn't have anything to do with divorce, but it just kind of came out. We need to, as a family in Christ, remember what it is that God has given us and raise our children. We don't, our children don't respect, I'm going to have children's church here at 3 o'clock today. And they're going to be unruly. They're going to be misbehaving. They're going to be in the mischief in these pews where we're supposed to worship God. And we are teaching them when we don't discipline them that it's not, it's okay not to give honor and glory and worship unto God. When you don't discipline your children, they won't respect you and then they won't respect God. And ultimately, we as parents will have to answer to that. So we need to pray for our parents that are not doing that. Even those that are not attending this church, that are, say, attending the uh, Blessed Sacrament, or those that are just not attending at all, and saying it's okay for their children to be up past curfew, that it is okay for them to be disrespectful to our teachers, that it's okay for them... To, uh, uh, to be disrespectful to any grown-up. We are taking the things of the lower 48 states where they are just coddled, and we're adopting it into this village, and it should not be. We need to stop it, and we need to say, enough is enough. We want to follow God. I'm going to read a few more verses here in Matthew chapter 5. And... It says in verse 33, Again you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Verse 37, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. That's where we're going to stop in our scriptures, but we need to look at this for a moment. In the days of Jesus, people that thought to make themselves look religious before God 
would make a great oath and say, I swear, I swear by the name of the Lord and by the gold on the temple that this will come to pass and I will do it. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't swear by the name of the Lord. Don't make oaths. Just say, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. Because when you swear by these things, Jesus says, that you make yourself a debtor to do it, plus what you're doing, though he doesn't say this, what you are doing is you are bringing down the things of God. You're making them common and exalting yourself. Because you're saying that by the innate ability that is in you, That you can do it. I can make this happen. And you should trust me because I can make this happen. But that is never it. Even in my preaching that I tell you you need to know the Scriptures. Read the Bible on your own. Read along with me when I'm teaching the Scriptures so that you know what it says. And don't take my word for it. See what God says about it and go home and read the Scriptures. Because I don't want to exalt myself. That is a danger that we have as sinful human beings to exalt ourselves. When we, place, when we start doing this and saying, I will do this by an oath or I swear that I will do this, we are putting ourselves on an equal place with God. James, the book of James in the New Testament, says in uh, chapter 4, I believe, of James, James says that, Go to now, you that say that we shall go into such and such city and do this and that and buy and sell and make money. This year, he says, don't do that. Because you don't know what the day will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if you're going to be able to do that tomorrow. Because, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, that your very breath was given to you by God. How do you know you're going to wake up tomorrow? You can't even determine that. That is in the hands of God. And so when I make a declaration or swear an oath, I am bringing God down and lifting myself up, either on an equal plane with God, making myself equal to Him, or making myself greater than Him, as if what I can do is important. Remember, as a living sacrifice... It says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you, I beg you, and let's say that it is from God, through the Apostle Paul. It's not Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in Romans 12.1. It's God speaking unto us, and God's begging us, I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg you, beloved, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not by the ability that you have to accomplish anything, but by God's mercy. When we walk day by day in the reality that it is only by God's mercy that I can do anything at all, then things open up in our lives. We see things, the challenges actually become the joys. The circumstances in our lives that God has used to conform you to the image of Christ, they become the great joys of our life. We see that the sicknesses of our children, when their children get sick, it's an opportunity to show God's love unto them and pray for them and comfort them. 
When our children misbehave, it's God's opportunity coming before us and we can see the joy and it does hurt. But it will be more painful if you don't discipline your children. When we see things in our relationships, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, moms and dads, when we see those relationships in our lives that have difficulties, when we're walking in the moment of knowing that it's all by the mercy of God and that He's using that so that I could be more like Jesus Christ and understand more of whom He is, then we see those relationships as not a difficulty. A momentary misunderstanding that we have now the opportunity to be reconciled. To plead the blood of Jesus and to bring the cross into their lives and my life. Our lives. If I'm having a misunderstanding with my wife or or one of the members of the congregation, it's a difficulty. But I say, oh, thank you, Lord, that you bring this. Because now we have an opportunity to be reconciled and see the cross of Jesus Christ glorified. And the name of Jesus Christ exalted. I'm not there yet. I, I, I don't have every single every single thing. We, you know, like our water box, our pipes froze in the water box. <laughs> I can be honest with you, the very first instant, I wasn't thinking, Oh Lord, thank you for the opportunity to try to thaw out my water box. I was thinking, Oh, why did this happen? But as I started, I settled down and I said, wait a minute, because uh, what happened was is I just stuck the heater in like I thought I was, like I ha- uh, had last year, and it came around, but what I didn't do is I didn't come back 15 minutes later to check my heater, and I tripped the breaker, and so it was off for two hours more. And that's why we're out of water, because I didn't check that. And it wasn't until after that, when I looked at it, and I would get, I almost got to that point where I was going to get madder. But I didn't. I realized, God, you know what? You're in control. And we have our good friends, Grant and Lena Funk over there in Hooper Bay, and they have not had water for eight years. They've been on honey buckets, and they have not had plumbing and I don't have it for a couple days, okay, I won't have it maybe till the thaw, if that's the way that you want it, but that's still not eight years of hauling water, of dumping honey buckets. That's nothing, Lord, and thank you that I get to experience that, because I know a lot of people in Scammon Bay have had to experience that for years, growing up. And so I'm going to be inconvenienced, that's nothing a couple months. Some of you have been without water for years. Some the people, the people up there, I think, are still hauling water. So, when we have that perspective and put things right, God conforms me so that I can not be so harsh with the people that He sent me to minister to. I can understand a little bit more. This is what... Our brothers and sisters in Scammon Bay have had to deal with for years. What's the big deal? It makes things a little bit different, doesn't it? So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you for your word. We thank you, Father, that, that you're in control. 
that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, and we pray, Lord, that we might repent day and uh, uh, day by day and moment by moment, because there's things in our lives that we see are not right, not pleasing to you, but you want them to be, because the things that are not good and not godly and not holy are things that wreck our lives and make it worse. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your word that there is a joy, a joy unspeakable that comes in serving you and being your child. We love you, Lord, and thank you, and uh, give this, the rest of this day unto you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.